Here's a question to think about. If your life is a commercial, what are you advertising? It can kind of be a disturbing question, right? In a good way. Because you're a lot of things, but when you come to mind for other people, oh yeah, Chris is, or oh yeah, Trisha is, or oh yeah, Justin is, what comes to mind for them? Uh, all of our lives are commercials about something, and so what are you advertising? And then sort of broader than that, what is your family advertising? Uh, what is your company advertising? If our church is a commercial, what are we advertising? And then lastly, moving into everyone's favorite category of commercials, if your life is a political commercial, who and what are you advertising? We're continuing this series called Christians and Politics because we're really looking at this obvious season that's ahead of us, the midterm elections, which are coming up in less than a month from now. And because of that a last election cycle, and to be honest, several election cycles before that, we're taking some time to share a guide for how Christians should approach politics. Because it seems that many Christians, both right and left, have forgotten some of the basic principles when it comes to navigating our faith and our politics. Now, when I say this is going to be a guide, let me be very clear. This will not be a voting guide. This will be a guide for how to navigate the strange election cycles that we find ourselves in. This will be a guide for how to deal with people of the opposite political party and the opposite side of the political spectrum from you. So because while this, uh, we all have sort of a freedom to choose to follow Jesus or not, the thing is we do not have the freedom to choose what it looks like to follow Jesus. That Jesus modeled for us how to do this. And then the writers of the New Testament would sort of help us even further to see what would it look like practically to follow Jesus. That on a sort of foundational level, Jesus demonstrated a posture, a tone, an approach for how to treat people. We can't call ourselves Jesus followers and use whatever posture, whatever tone, and whatever approach we want when it comes to our politics. So in this series, we're focusing on the posture, tone, and approach Christians should have when it comes to politics. And this is just my opinion, but for Christians, everything that went wrong with the 2020 election cycle involved our posture, tone, and approach looking nothing like Jesus. And so last week we talked about how one of the things that recent elections confirmed for many people who are sort of skeptical about Christians is that beneath some of the Bible-laced rhetoric, there's a hidden agenda for many Christians. And their suspicion is, and unfortunately, what too many Christians have indicated, that what we value most is winning. And apparently a lot of Christians fear the same thing that every other ideology and every other group fears, which is losing. Uh, losing our influence losing our voice, losing our rights. But the irony for the church is that the church loses those very things when we focus on winning. We're not here to win culture wars, and we are certainly not here to win elections. That Christians have a different posture, tone, and approach to winning than politicians. And the natural political posture is to divide. The Christian political posture is to unite. The natural political tone is about fear. The Christian political tone is overcoming faith. The natural political approach to win it is, is to win at all costs. And the Christian political approach is to share Jesus at all costs. That if we do this, we can make a much, much bigger impact than just winning an election. If we do this, we can make a much bigger impact than just politics. But we can also do something that politicians claim to do. That if we do this, we can make the world a better place. You can check out any of these messages in this series on our YouTube channel. So today though, we're going to go back to that original question that I asked. If your life is a commercial, what are you advertising? Uh, one of the things about commercials 
is that only those commercials that actually represent what the company or the product does, those are actually helpful. In fact, the commercials that represent something the company or product doesn't do are considered misleading, right? And they're unhelpful. And personally, we all have things that we hope our lives would be advertising. But in reality, we aren't there yet. And if that's you, this message isn't meant to make you feel guilty about that, but rather to ask a question that some people, like you and me, asked in the first century. Uh, we're going to be starting reading in Luke chapter 3. You can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, uh, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and you can find our church. We'll also have all the notes and verses on the screen as well. So these first uh, century people that asked this question were sort of around the pregame show, the warm-up act for Jesus. And if you don't know, that was John the Baptist, who prepared people for the coming of Jesus. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. John the Baptist is actually a historical character, if you didn't know, that sort of shows up in Luke's account of Jesus' life, but also in the other accounts as well that John the Baptist is also known outside of biblical literature, particularly through the historian Josephus. Continue on verse 3. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. That John's message was designed to get people ready for the coming of the Messiah, of Jesus. And that's why John is uh, sort of the warm-up act for Jesus. And John would say this, something new is on the horizon. Something new is coming, and you don't want to miss it. If you don't get ready, you're going to miss it. And the way you get ready is by living out your faith. That John sees more people coming, and so he gets excited that they're actually here, or as we're going to see, a little bit ironic. Uh, when the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes, right? Who warned you of the to flee the coming wrath? That basically, if you want to be prepared for what God is about to do, verse 8, he says, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Now, notice John doesn't say, Prove by your political parties that you support. Prove by the R or D next to your name. Uh, prove by the political views that you have uh, that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. No, <laughs> John doesn't say any of that, right? He says, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. That you need to show others that you do what you have been taught. That the days of sort of reducing religion to traditions or politics, those days are over. The days of thinking of your religion only in terms of how it impacts you, those days are over. If you don't repent of your lack of compassion for others, your lack of generosity towards others, your lack of putting others first, if you don't repent, then you're going to miss God moving in the world. And you won't be ready. And you won't see it. And you'll miss it because you aren't living in sync with God's activity in the world. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Basically, don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are de descendants of Abraham. That John knows exactly what they are going to say to sort of comfort themselves or sort of hide behind this. And so these people might try to say that, well, their tradition is enough. But John the Baptist says, no, that means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. And so I wonder what John the Baptist might say if we sort of transferred him to our day and time. Uh, maybe John the Baptist would say something like this. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are Christians. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create Christians from these very stones. That John the Baptist was trying to disturb those around him out of sort of their apathy and their self-made religion that was so out of sync with what God was doing and about to do in the world. 
And even though they were God-fearing people who believed God, John says if they aren't careful, they might miss what God is doing and actually become enemies of God. And if we fast forward in the story of Jesus, we see that many people did in fact miss what God was doing in the world through Jesus because we hear about people sort of yelling to crucify Jesus, right? They missed it. And John says one of the reasons people missed Jesus might have been because they weren't ready or prepared to spot God's activity in the world. So pause for a second. As we continue in this political season, let's live out our faith so that we will be able to be ready to spot God's activity in the world beyond our political perspective, beyond who wins seats in Congress, and beyond who wins politically. That John was reminding his audience, and he's reminding us, if we're willing to listen to him, John is reminding us about what our lives are supposed to be advertising. That John is reminding those of us following God of what our lives are supposed to be advertising. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That John wasn't discounting being related to Abraham as a Jew. That was important. John's point was that being related to Abraham is not the finish line. That's actually just sort of the starting line. And if John applied that point to us, he might say, well, I'm so glad you put your faith in Jesus, and I'm so glad that Jesus is your Savior, but that's not the finish line. That's just the starting line. And John was telling his audience that what is going to come is going to change everything. And if you aren't ready, you're going to miss it. And you may find yourself at odds with God. That this new thing was characterized by doing for others. This sort of internalized, vertical-only religion, that was out. Because the threat for all of us is when our Christian faith becomes 100% internalized. When we become consumers only. When we unintentionally focus on, well, what's in it for me? When we're more focused on how our political party benefits us, rather than how our political party might hurt others. You're in the danger zone when that happens. That your faith might be dying and you might not even know it. And there's a way forward. And the people around John the Baptist, though, they give us the way forward. That John's audience asked a simple question that we should all ask. And if, we're, if we are, were to ask this question corporately as a bigger group, if we were to ask this question as individual families, if we were to ask this question as teachers and community leaders, if we were to ask this question, it would change things around us. Verse 10, the crowds asked, what should we do? Not just what should we believe, what should we do to prepare for what God is about to do among us? What should we do so that when it happens, we recognize it? What should we do so that we don't miss it? How can we best prepare ourselves, they were asking. And now they might not have been expecting a, sort of, they might have been rather expecting a religious answer, but John's going to surprise them with his answer. Verse 11, John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. Basically, if anyone has two of something that someone else needs, you should share it. So you're saying all we have to do is share? Like, that's not very religious, John. That you can do that anywhere. To which maybe John thought, yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe you've gotten yourself all wound up in something that isn't even all that important to God. And you've missed what's most important. Because when God does what he's about to do in the world, you're going to discover that he is sharing with the world what is most important. Verse 11, John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Now food sometimes in this time period was very scarce and food didn't keep. Uh, food could be expensive and it was very hard to transport. So they possibly are thinking, well, like we just need to share. And John is saying, yeah, when you see a need that you can meet, meet it. When you see a need that you can meet and it's gonna cost you, you should still meet it. 
When you have more of what someone else needs, then you should step in. Whether they're Judean, Galilean, Republican, or Democrat, it doesn't matter. When you see a need and you meet it, that is what God is about to do. He's going to see a need and meet it. He's about to meet a need for the entire world, a need that they cannot meet on their own. And if you're not living that out, you're going to miss it when it comes. Verse 12, even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked John, which is actually an amazing thing in and of itself because they were the people that everyone hated. The tax collectors were so low, they didn't even qualify as sinners. They had their own category. There were the sinners and the tax collectors. And that's how bad and despised the tax collectors were because they were thieves. And they were leveraging the power of Rome to steal from their own people. So remember that no matter how low you view that other political party, God can still work in their life too. And so these tax collectors came to hear John and they said this, even the corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. Basically, don't collect any more than you're required to collect. Like, that's it? Like, stop stealing? Like, this is basic stuff, right? He's basically saying, don't settle for what's legal and permissible. I know that's the way it's usually done, and I know that that's how you enrich yourself. And even though no one will arrest you, and you probably won't get in trouble or get caught, this is where the quote from one of my favorite pastors comes in. He basically says, do what is just, not what you can justify. And this is just what everyone expects from you, right? Well, John would say, stop doing that. Stop being normal. Stop doing what everyone expects and be extraordinary. Now, another group also comes up to John after this, and there's a lot of sort of stuff going on culturally when this group comes up. But whatever the case is, something seemed to compel them to come. Verse 14, what should we do, asked some soldiers. Well, John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. Basically, don't force people to pay for you to protect them when Rome is already paying you to protect us. Because some soldiers would sort of do that. It was just the way that things were. And, they, and these soldiers likely wouldn't get caught and they couldn't get in trouble. And so John the Baptist says, if you want to prepare for this thing that God is going to do, then stop taking unfair advantage of people. Because just on the horizon, God does not take unfair advantage of people. And even beyond that, he's going to come and sacrifice himself for the benefit of people. So basically quit leveraging your power to increase your pay through immoral means, even though you may never get caught. Again, do what is just, not what you can justify. And so God is sending one who will choose mercy and grace and allow his father to take out on him what he could justify taking out on you. Don't use your power to take advantage of the powerless. Use your power to protect the powerless. Because could you imagine a world where people actually treat each other with dignity? Imagine a world where people would sort of look at different parties and they actually treat each other with dignity and respect and they use their power to help the powerless even if they had a different political view than them. That this was so upside down in that world and so upside down and backwards and unprecedented in our world. Because Jesus would eventually go on to say in Mark chapter 10, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He would say, if you want to catch a glimpse of me in your world, then live like that too. This teaching from John the Baptist was so good that actually people started thinking he was the Messiah. And John says, no, 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 no. In, cha in chapter 3, verse 6 of Luke, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. And that last part meant basically, I'm not even worthy to be his slave, much less a follower or a disciple of his. So you need to be ready to do this. So what should we 
do? Well, this sort of getting ready idea can be far more than just waiting for Jesus to come. This getting ready could be getting ready for anything, including an election. Because what John tells these people to do to get ready is about treating people with dignity and respect and acting justly. That our minimum standards are what is permissible and legal, but we should go above and beyond those standards. This is doing something different than the way that everyone else does things. Doing more or less than what is allowed. So what should Jesus followers do is very different from what sh should Republicans or Democrats or Independents, what they should do. And this brings us back to our original question. If you are a Christian and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you've accepted him as your Savior and your King, if your life is a commercial, what are you advertising? Because your life is a commercial. And Jesus would say, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. We don't get to decide if we're going to be a commercial. We are. The only thing we get to decide is what and who we're going to advertise. So is your commercial more focused on an internal version of faith? Sort of asking yourself, well, what's in it for me? The comfortable version that requires very little of you being satisfied with just sort of going, you're just sort of satisfied with going to heaven when you die. Or is my life, is your life, are our lives advertising what John the Baptist was talking about? Doing stuff for others living justly. So I want to challenge you to ask the question that they asked John because it prepared them for what and who was coming. This question helped keep their eyes open so hopefully they wouldn't miss their king. What should we do? When you begin to say your heavenly father, when you begin to say this to your heavenly father, what do you want me to do? When you be able to pray or begin to, to pray and ask God, what do you want me to do? You will need to be ready and get ready because he's going to draw you out into some uncomfortable places that might include challenging your political views or your views of the other side. And the reason that some of us don't want to do this is because it will cause us to intersect with people who have problems that we can't solve. Uh, intersect with people who see the world differently than we do. More on that next week. But that's where we see God at work. And that's where your life is sort of in sync with God's activity in our culture and our world. Doing what God wants us to do, it's messy and it's going to cost you. But most of you know this because doing, doing is actually life-changing. Whatever God calls you to do, it's going to cost you and it's also going to feel as if you're walking in tandem with God and his work in the world. But if you continue to be a hearer only, a consumer only, or more concerned with politics, as I said earlier, you're in a danger zone. Because whether you recognize it or not, your faith might be wilting. It might be dying. And you eventually will become so consumed by yourself, for yourself, that you may lose your faith. And John says, I want you to do in the world what God is about to do for the world. And if you do, you might not be so consumed with political movement because you will see God's movement. So I encourage you to pray each day this next week, God, what should I do? God, what should we do? That the men and the women whose lives advertise the kingdom of God, the men and the women whose lives advertise your kingdom come, your will be done, they are the ones who actually changed the world. Yeah, politics has a, a part in changing the world, but if you ask this question, your eyes and your heart will be open to what God has next for you and what God has for you in our world. So as we wrap up, if you've ever been on sort of an email list for a political candidate or a party, then you know that the political emails have calls to action. Something like this. Give us your money. Well, maybe not like that, but sort of. 
Uh, volunteer to call your neighbors, uh, attend our rallies, get our bumper stickers and our yard signs, which oddly enough can sound similar to sort of modern day Christianity or gathering on Sundays. And yet Christians have a different call to action than politicians because we have a different posture, tone, and approach from po politicians. That as Christians, we take our calls to action from our Heavenly Father. Again, God, what should I do? And if we ask that question, we can make a much bigger impact than just sort of gaining or keeping seats in the house. We can make a much bigger impact than just politics. But we can also do something, again, that politicians claim to do. If we ask this question, we can actually make the world a better place, bringing God's kingdom here on earth. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for John the Baptist paving the way for Jesus and sort of setting the stage in some ways to help us to be ready for this political season, to be ready to look for your activity in the world and to help us to align our lives with what you're doing, God. And so God, would you help us to ask this question throughout the week? As we start our day, as we, as we come to a crossroads of decisions, when we come to different things throughout the day or meet up with people that we know are harder to get along with, would you help us to ask you the question, God, what should I do? Because it's not just about belief, it's not just about head knowledge, that you want us to actually live out our faith. And so God, would you help us to do that this week? Would you give us the wisdom to know what we should do? And God, would you then also give us the courage to actually go and do it? That people would see us, that when people see us, they would see you as what we're advertising. So God, would you help us to do that this week? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.